0: Hello, and welcome to another edition of Trashy Divorces, everybody's
1: favorite good podcast about bad relationships. My name is Stacy. Hey, friends, I'm Alicia. Thank you for joining us for today's tale of marital misadventure, trash pandas, and investigators. This one's too good not to share between Trashy Divorces and Done and Done. Welcome from whichever platform you're listening on. This is the stuff. With real payoffs on both sides of the podcasting fences. So, Stacy, in your last episode, you mentioned Hammersmith Farm, with the mention of Hammersmith, the Newport, Rhode Island home of Hugh D. Auchincloss. It was time for Hugh D. Oh gosh, <laughs> his story and all the spider webs, their connections into everything. This is a trashy rabbit hole. There's a lot of payoff in the story. You don't even know where to look. There's a lot going on. You are so lit up about this. You have been so lit up
0: about this. I'm so excited to hear this.
1: Okay, so on one side of the fence, this story is classic trashy divorces. In this trashy divorces story, everything you could want with two divorces and so many affairs and so many spiderwebs and so many famous offspring. Just wow. Like what people won't do for love or money or children for that matter. But on the flip side... As on Done and Done, we have been on our heiress tour. We are getting into the high society of the Newport, Rhode Island scene now, and this really does go hand in hand with so many people in places that we have talked about or are coming up. It's just too much. Everything really is all connected. We're going to get right into it today. Investigating the Trashy Divorces of Hugh D. Auchincloss. Let's go, go, go
0: all right alicia before you begin let me caution you Mm -hmm. please remember
1: periodically to breathe i can see how excited you are oh this high society juice is my favorite kind of story The thing I want you to know, there are a lot of names in this story that are the same. So we're going to begin here with just a little bit of Auchincloss family history. As while the name Auchincloss evokes images of blue bloods and old money, a great deal of the family's actual wealth comes from marriage. It's the Auchincloss marrying someone that brings the wealth, but not necessarily Hammersmith Farm. Hugh D. Auchincloss, our profile today. We're going to call him Hugh D. Okay. through the whole story just to separate him from his dad, who we're about to talk about. Hugh great uncle, John Winthrop Auchincloss, originally builds the family's estate, Hammersmith Farm. This is in Newport, Rhode Island, built in 1887. Been there a long time. A great deal of the family's actual wealth came from a completely different family. That a member of the Auchincloss family married. That's one way to do it. It's wealth through marriage. Hughie's father, Hugh Dudley Auchincloss, senior, papa. Sure. He gets married. This is how the wealth comes in November 19th, 1891. Two, you ready for this? Because it's going to mean something. Hugh Dudley Auchincloss' papa marries Standard Oil heiress, Mm. Emma Brewster Jennings. This
0: is how American fortunes were made in those decades.
1: So although the Auchincloss family was successful and wealthy and prominent in their own right, it was the Standard Oil money Mm -hmm. that will take the Auchincloss name to the next level of high society and riches. I bet. And then, Hughie and the Blowfish forms later. Hughie's father, Hugh Auchincloss, senior papa, mm-hmm. graduated from Yale University. He was a top businessman in New York City at the time. His parents were John and Elizabeth. His paternal grandparents had immigrated from Scotland in 1801 and were merchants. Hugh Auchincloss Sr., his mother comes from a respected New York political family, the Bucks. Okay. Okay. So, Hugh Sr., after graduating from Yale, works his way up in the family dry goods mercantile business and then goes on to be the director of, you ready? Farmer's Loan and Trust Company, the Bank of Manhattan Company, the Bowery Savings Bank, and the Consolidated Gas Company. I can see
0: how he would be moving in circles that would put him in you know, relation to a standard oil heiress. He clearly was upper crust to start with.
1: So let's talk about Emma Brewster Jennings, Hudie's mama. Emma Brewster Jennings was the daughter of Oliver Burr Jennings, who was one of the original stockholders in standard oil. There are a few names you want to know about this original charter of standard oil. Some are familiar Some you may not be familiar with, but good to know these five names. Rockefeller, Flagler, Andrews, Harkness, and Jennings. These were the original five back in 1863. If you're a Swifty, you know the name Harkness. She marries into Standard Oil Money. God, it's all so connected. Anyway, here we are together. Emma and Hugh Sr. They have three kids, including... Hugh D Auchincloss II, born August 29, 1897. Hughie was born at Hammersmith Farm. That same year, 1897, is when Hugh Senior and Emma buy Hammersmith Farm from Hugh Senior's brother John. Okay. And Hughie, born in Newport, like a proper blue blood, he attends Groton School before heading to Yale University. Like and, his papa, and eventually getting his law degree from Columbia, Hugh D. practices law in New York City for a few years before beginning his own investment and brokerage firm, with money helpfully provided by his mother, Emma Brewster Jennings, Standard Oil heiress. Hugh D. Auchincloss would end up marrying three times and having five children. Hooty would also have some pretty famous stepchildren including Gore Vidal, Jacqueline Bouvier Kennedy Onassis, and Lee Bouvier Radzewell. Hmm. Mm-hmm. This story's so good. Buckle up. Okay. Hugh D, we got his background set up. I'm a big banker. It's all exciting. On June the 4th, 1925, Hugh D. Auchincloss marries for the very first time. Hugh's very first bride was Maria. She's known as Maya Deshaprovitsky. She's a Russian noblewoman hmm. whose family has fled the Bolsheviks. Fascinating. Her story's entirely fascinating. Her sister Olga has a fascinating story, not the story we're telling today. <laughs> Maya and Hudi get married in June of 1925. They have one son together, whom they name Hugh Dudley Auchincloss III. But he was always known as Yusha, which means Russian for Hugh.
0: See, even they were trying to distinguish between the the D's.
1: There's a lot. Just wait till we get to the Nina's. There's a lot happening in this story. But we're here in marriage one, Hugh and Maya. It is on July 15th, 1928, that Maya, Hugh's first wife, was in a horrible accident that almost killed her. Many newspapers covered the story, including the New York Times, who ran an article titled, quote, Mrs. Auchincloss is felled by plane. Wife of government agent near death after being struck down by propeller. Suffers skull fracture, blood transfusion, and operation follow injury in Washington. Unquote. Would you like to know more about this? Yeah. I know plans were very different at the time, but wow. So the accident happened at the Naval Air Station when Mr. and Mrs. Auchincloss and several friends had just landed on the beach at the air station. When Maya got out of the plane, she walked into a propeller. Oh, no. The article goes on to state that Maya Achenclos was active in relief work for Russia and the Far East and was socially prominent in Washington, New York, Newport, Rhode Island, Palm Beach, Florida, and in the large European cities. After giving some details of her surgery and transfusion, the article reports that her doctor said her condition was, quote, critical with only a slight chance of recovery, unquote. But Maya did recover and continued being a prominent socialite. That is almost hard to believe. That's amazing. Amazing. Maya's story's fairly incredible. I have a delightful little bit here from June of 1931. The New York Times was back to reporting on Maya after her incredible recovery. Here in June of 1931, Maya was hosting the Members of Garden Association, an annual meeting and election of officers at Hammersmith Farm in Newport. The article goes on to discuss the attendees and members elected and legit reads like Mrs. Astor's 400. Here's some fun little details. Mrs. Hamilton Fish Webster was unanimously re-elected president. A few other fun details about the beginning of the summer season. This article is published in June 31. So the beginning of the summer season in Newport, the season in Newport lasts about eight to 10 weeks, officially beginning end of May, beginning of June, lasting until the opera season begins back in the autumn in New York Mm, city. That makes sense. So here we are 1931 first week of the summer season. Anybody who loves Newport history, you're going to love this items. Mrs. James Lawrence Van Allen will be returning to Wakehurst tomorrow after visiting her son and daughter-in-law, Mr. and Mrs. James H. Van Allen. Mr. and Mrs. Henry Parrish will arrive at Ludlow Cottage for the season. Seaweed is being opened for Mr. and Mrs. Clarence Dolan, who are expected the first of the week. Mrs. George McFadden of Philadelphia arrived at Armsey Hall today. Dr. and Mrs. Alexander Hamilton Rice arrived this evening at their summer home, Miramar, for the season. General J. Fred Pearson arrived at Roselawn, and Mr. and Mrs. J. Denison Sawyer of the Ledges. General and Mrs. Cornelius Vanderbilt and their daughter, Mrs. Henry G. Davis III, will return from New York on the Winchester tomorrow. This is
0: like, I mean, this would be considered doxing today. This is, it's amazing that this was just public knowledge. You would publish the itineraries
1: of some of the richest people in America. But for the richest people in America, if you played in that scale, you were in Newport, Rhode Island from June till September. Sure. Eight to 10 weeks. That's just what it was. Like the cost of doing business there is incredible. But for a very specific time, if you were in this set, that's where you were playing, a colony, so to speak. That's where the colony was in the summer. I hate to tell you, though, it's not all garden parties and yacht races. It doesn't take long for the marriage between Hugh D. and Maya to sour. On April 15th, 1932, the New York Times again runs another article titled... Mrs. H.D. Auchincloss in Reno for divorce.
0: Oh, quickie divorce in
1: Reno. So you need a s- six weeks residency, I believe. The article stated that Maya admitted that she had recently taken up residence in Reno, Nevada for the purpose of getting a divorce from Auchincloss. Although Maya would not publicly discuss any specific details, she does go on to tell the New York Times that her suit would charge incompatibility. Hmm. It is a little bit later, May 24, 1932. New York Times runs another article about the divorce, and this time, Maya is willing to give some more details. This time, the article reported that Mrs. Maya D. Chapravitzky-Auchencloss charged Hugh Dudley-Auchencloss with mental cruelty. It also reports that, quote, Mr. and Mrs. Auchencloss were said to have agreed on a property settlement and support for their son, who is four and a half years old, unquote. That little boy is Yusha. Yusha will not only become Jacqueline Bouvier Kennedy's stepbrother when his father marries her mother, but Yusha and Jacqueline remain dear friends until her death.
0: Oh, I see. So, Hudy will be the second husband after, is it Black Bouvier? That's
1: right. All right. Oh, it all connects. It mm-hmm. all connects. Even after Hammersmith Farms' main house was sold to the Fruit of the Loom owner, William F. Farley, Yusha still owned the outbuildings called the Palace, the Windmill, and the Castle. Yusha Auchincloss will live in the castle on the Hammersmith Farm property until his own death in 2015. Wow. But Yusha, he's way more interesting than just being the stepbrother of Jacqueline Kennedy, He graduates from, you're never going to believe it, Groton School and Yale University too. Wow. Yusha also serves in the United States Marine Corps. In the 1950s, he completed two tours in Korea and studied at the American University of Beirut. Yusha Achencloss was later a Middle Eastern diplomat and advised President Kennedy on matters in that region. We have a few other delightful bits here about Yusha. He played a significant part in the love story and eventual engagement of Jack Kennedy and Jacqueline Bouvier. Hmm. Yusha's daughter, Maya, not his mother, his daughter, shares a story about the first time Jacqueline introduced Yusha to then-Senator Kennedy. Quote, She was living in Washington and invited my father over for a dinner this wonderful evening and said, Now you should remember Jack's a Democrat and you're a Republican. Be careful what you say. (laughs) But it went very smoothly. She made a nice dinner and he made drinks that then became a favorite of Jack's. Of course, when Jack and Jackie were married in September 1953, they had their wedding reception at Hammersmith Farm to mark their 10th wedding anniversary. Jack and Jackie Kennedy also sentimentally chose to have their party again at Hammersmith Farm. At that event, Yusha toasted John F. Kennedy at dinner, saying, First, Mr. President, I want to congratulate you. You've been a very good president. I'm glad you had your wedding here in Newport. I'm glad you're celebrating your wedding anniversary here with Jackie. But I have to remind you, If you hadn't gotten engaged to Jackie, my stepsister, neither one of you would have been in the White House. And I wouldn't have had the chance to stay in the White House, so I have to thank you for that. (laughs) Very practical. During a 1999 tour of Hammersmith Farm, Yusha showed a Providence Journal reporter Jacqueline's teenage bedroom and said this about it. When she became part of the family and my stepmother moved up here in the summer of 1943, everything got moved around. I moved up from the room downstairs. Since I was the eldest in the family, I had the first pick of rooms. Jackie was the second oldest, so she got the second best room, which is this room with its view of the bay at sunset. She was always in the room next to me. There's some nicer things before we get to Hughie's second marriage to Nina Gore Vidal Auchincloss. Holy mm. cats! Now's a great time to take a quick break. Hear from our sponsors. We'll see you on the flip. Oh, Hughie, we're back for marriage number two of Hughie Auchincloss. This time, Nina Gore. Nina Gore was the daughter of Oklahoma U.S. Senator Thomas Gore. Nina's mother also named Nina, (laughs) was the daughter of a Texas plantation owner.
0: Is it possible that all of these people just had a long-term conspiracy to
1: make it difficult to tell their stories? (laughs) It really does get worse. Nina Gore's parents marry in 1900. She was born in 1903. Her younger brother Thomas was born in 1910. Nina, before she marries Hudie, was married first. Her first marriage takes place in 1922 to a commercial aviation pioneer. His name is Eugene Vidal. He goes by Jean. Nina was a teenager, 18 years old at the time, super young. Jean Vidal had competed in the decathlon at the 1920 Antwerp Olympics. At the time of their wedding in 1922, Jean was in the army, stationed at Fort Still, where the newlyweds lived after their wedding. Nina Gore Vidal now, being an army wife, living on an army base, wasn't really her speed. It doesn't really suit her. It's not very glamorous. It's not very exciting. Her first husband, Jean, would go on to be the first aeronautics instructor at West Point. It was at West Point where their son, Gore Vidal, was born in 1925. Gore Vidal would go on to be the famed author, intellectual, and society figure, not only known for his controversial books, but also controversial personality. Nina and Jean Vidal would move back to Washington after their time at West Point Point. And Jean here would end up becoming an executive at Transcontinental Air Transport, TWA, Eastern Airlines, and Northeast Airlines. Now, for Nina's first marriage, there are a lot of reasons why it's not working that well. One, (laughs) was Nina's difficult personality. Two, her immense ego. Number three, her unpredictable behavior. (laughs) All of this, her son, Gore Vidal, openly discusses later in his life. Nina Gore Vidal, at this point, you need to know, is beautiful and glamorous, but she has zero interest in being a mother. In fact, her son, Gore Vidal, later said of her, We rarely got into a conversation. It was pointless. She didn't see me. I wished I didn't see her.
0: Wow. That's that's a terrible Yelp review. <laughs>
1: It gets worse. Nina also had mental health issues. We probably would diagnose her as bipolar or manic depressive today. Add on to that a real struggle with alcoholism. Mm. So self-medicating in the worst possible way. That's it. Gore Vidal calls his mother Nina an alcoholic who is certifiably insane. Perfect. That's one interview. In another interview, Gore Vidal calls his mother Nina a drunk and a monster. I can only imagine that the marriage is going great. Oh, go, it's it's terrible. Hold on. You you don't even know where the story's going. In Gore Vidal's memoir, Palimpsest, he will continue to write of his mother Nina. I don't think you want Gore Vidal as your kid. Hmm. Uh, quote, she confessed that rage made her orgasmic. I forgot to ask her if sex ever did. That, wow. That's a yikes. Wow. (laughs) Bad Yelp review. He goes on. I got one good thing from Nina. I would never marry. Ever. If they'd said, you'll get the White House if you have a wife and five children. All I had to do was think of my mother and nope, nope, no way. Hmm. So you can imagine this marriage is not going super great there was another factor besides Nina's stuff <laughs> that was contributing to the downfall of the marriage both parties actually frequently engaged in affairs. Gene hmm. Vidal was in a romantic relationship with Amelia Earhart. Oh my god. Who herself had an open marriage. Uh-huh. They had met while working together at TWA and Gene Vidal and Amelia Earhart continued their affair right up until her disappearance in 1937. Hmm. But Jean Vidal wasn't the only one having an affair. Nina, for her part, was having an on-and-off affair with no less than Clark Gable. Good Lord. Clark Gable was not the only one, and Nina would pretty much openly brag about her sexual partners and adventures anytime she could, and there were many. This on and off love affair with Clark Gable and others really gets Nina connected into the cinema, Hollywood, movie making community, which will be helpful for her son, Gore Vidal, in later years. He grows up very much around that. With the marriage going so well, <laughs> it is on May 21st, 1935, that the New York Times runs an article reporting that Nina Gore Vidal was headed to... Reno? Ding, ding, ding. Wow. Wow. It gets trashy, the article reads. Washington Post quotes husband as uninformed on her trip. The Washington Post says that Mrs. Eugene Vidal, wife of the chief of the Chief Commerce Department's Bureau of Aeronautics, is en route to Reno, but quotes Mr. Vidal as having said that he did not know whether or not a divorce was the object of her trip. Unquote. Have they not heard of Tijuana? What's up? The article goes on to point out that the couple has been married for 13 years and have one son. This is where it gets a little tricky. Okay, look at the timeline. New York Times reports July the 3rd, 1935. So, month and a half after this initial visit. That Nina Gore Vidal had requested a divorce in Reno, Nevada. On the six-week mark to the day, probably. Correct. Stating cruelty is the grounds for divorce. The article then goes on, quote, asked concerning reports that the Washington matron intends to marry Hugh D. Auchincloss, Washington investment banker, following her expected divorce. The attorney said, I am personally satisfied. She has no intention to immediately remarry. Hmm. However, how'd how'd that go? (laughs) The article also helpfully includes the fact that Hugh D. Auchincloss had visited Mrs. Nina gore in Reno just the previous week while she was living on the secluded dude ranch for the last six weeks in order to get the divorce. Hugh D. Achenkloss and Nina apparently went to Lake Tahoe where they were the guests of his sister and brother-in-law. What date was that? July the 3rd, 1935. Not too long after, October 8th. 1935, the New York Times helpfully reports on Hugh D. Auchincloss's second marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Titled, Hugh Auchincloss Marries in Capital, Takes Mrs. Nina Gore Vidal, Daughter of Senator Gore, as Bride in Home Wedding. The article reads in part, Mrs. Vidal wore a gray velvet gown with a cluster of orchids. She was unattended. Chauncey Parker was best man. Mr. Auchincloss and his bride will make their home on his estate at McLean, Virginia. The marriage is the culmination of a romance first reported when Mrs. Vidal left Washington last May for Reno, where she was divorced on July 3rd from Mr. Vidal, to whom she was married 13 years ago. To throw another wrench in the naming convention, Nina and Hudie have a daughter, Nina Gore Auchincloss, Born January the 10th, 1937, they have a son, Thomas Gore Auchincloss, born in 1939. Gore Vidal, again, son I don't think you want, reveals a lot about his recollections of how this marriage started between Hughie and his mother Nina in his memoir, Palimpsest. Quote, Nina had made an informal prenuptial agreement with Hughie. She would marry him in order to bring glamour. He had a passion for senators into his life, and to be a good stepmother to his forlorn child. But since she did not care for him that way, theirs would be a marriage blanc. Crafty Hughie agreed. Then he made a formal prenuptial agreement that she be given a fixed income for life and never anything more. Apparently. He had to pay too much to Nina's predecessor, mm. a colorful Russian lady who had been accidentally scalped by an airplane propeller.
0: Good Lord.
1: Go, go, gore. Delirious in the hospital, she spoke of the true love of her life, whose name was not Hudie. When she recovered, Hudie divorced her and she married her true lover and lived happily ever after, something poor Hughie did not. Wow. So here's an update on Maya. Sure. She and Hudy do get divorced in 1932. She marries the love of her life, Erskine Dexter Rand, who unfortunately passes away just four years later. Wow. But she did get to marry her love after Hudy goes away. Because there's some more stuff happening with Hudy that we haven't really talked about yet. Gore Vidal, again, <laughs> said you don't
0: want. Nope.
1: At least the son you don't
0: want writing about you. No,
1: will describe Hugh Auchincloss after this as stealing his mother away from the man she was in love with and expected to marry. Who's this guy? Yeah. We've heard of him before. John Hay Whitney. Whoa. Whoa. Nina was still technically married to Jean Vidal at the time and hadn't made her way yet to Reno to divorce. She had been carrying on, Nina had, an affair with John Hay Whitney and wanted to marry him. This is the Whitney Museum family. One of those Whitney's, yes. Mm -hmm. John Hay Whitney, unhelpfully, was also married at the time. (laughs) This is Jock Whitney. John Hay Whitney is Jock Whitney, who will go on to marry Betsy Cushing in the future. Betsy is the sister of Babe Paley, but right now she's married to the son of FDR. Mm. Mhm. Okay. But this is the early 1930s and he is still with his first wife, Liz Altimus. But this marriage is no big deal because Jock and huh, Nina can certainly marry because Liz Altimus is just waiting to divorce Jock Whitney to marry Gene Vidal. Oh my god.
0: Is that a triangle or some other shape? I'm not even sure. I don't even know what shape it is.
1: Everything was going to go great, right? Nina was going to divorce. She was going to marry Jock Whitney. Jock Whitney's wife, Mm -hmm. Liz Altimus, was going to marry Jean Vidal. Like, everything was group. Spouse swap. Well, yeah. It's all going to be good. Until Jean Vidal throws a wrench in the works. It is Gore Vidal who is not really interested in the option of having Auchincloss for a stepfather, and he will go on to tell his mother as much. Quote, Even if I had entirely grasped the necessity of a fortune for the feckless Nina, I don't think that I would have been impressed. If it was to be big money, I preferred jocks. After we came back from Washington, Nina still expected to marry Mr. John Hay Whitney, while Mrs. John Hay Whitney still expected to marry my father. As it turned out, my father said no to the glamorous Liz, to my sorrow. As a result, Jock said no to Nina, leaving her high, if never entirely dry. Since her father, Senator Thomas Pryor Gore, was facing a difficult primary in Oklahoma and had no money to spare, my mother was obliged to say yes to the persistent hudie nina would be poor no more best of all it was understood from the beginning that there would be no sex unquote back up the bus you ready nina liked to talk (laughs) so gore remembers let's Mm -hmm. continue in this narrative so, it was going to be a white marriage, a marriage blanc, but according to Gore Vidal, Hugh Auchincloss did not hold up his own end of that bargain. Gore Vidal recalls finding his mother sitting on the landing early in the morning the day after her wedding to Hughie. Gore knows something is wrong with his mom, but he's not sure what it was. He will write in his memoir about how messy and all the details uh, of this writing Years later, Nina told me that the white marriage she had agreed to had turned very black indeed the first night. Hmm. I should note that the only advantage for a child in having an alcoholic parent is that you acquire prematurely quite a bit of valuable data. Apparently, there was going to be sex whether Nina liked it or not. She did not like it. Hmm but then no woman could have liked Hughie's importunate fumblings. He ejaculated normally, but without that prescient erection, which women require, as if nothing else, a totemic symbol of a man's true love, not to mention a homely source of hedonistic friction. Since Hughie wanted more children, Nina was obliged in some fashion. I think she inserted with a spoon, what she called the bugs, in order to create my demi-siblings, unquote.
0: I don't know whether to be horrified or... Wow.
1: Yeah. Yikes. Wow. Yikes. That's I, I, what I'm trying to tell you. Sit down, you're not even ready. Clearly, it's not hard to imagine why this marriage between... Nina Gore Vidal and Hudie doesn't last. This time, Nina is not going to wait 13 years before getting a divorce like she did last time. In 1940, this is five years after that marriage, Nina leaves Hudie Auchincloss in order to marry her lover, General Robert Olds, who would become Nina's third husband. When Hudy's mom discovers that Nina had left Hudie, her son, Mama gets involved. And she begs Nina to stay. She'll offer to increase the money she was given. Listen to this. Listen to this. Mama acknowledges that Hudie's sexual problems. Which you totally want Mama to know about. <sighs> according to Gore Vidal, Mama blames on his, <laughs> on Hewdy's excessive masturbation in youth. <laughs> <laughs> but Nina had made up her mind. In September 1941, Nina was back in Reno, Nevada, obtaining her divorce from Hugh D. Auchincloss II. But, helpfully, it's really nice of Nina. Nina wasn't gonna leave Hughie high and dry. She orchestrated his next marriage for him. Oh wow, hmm. As Nina had first met, Janet Lee Bouvier, when she was a saleswoman in a New York City department store, Gore Vidal describes Janet Lee Bouvier this way quote, a financially desperate social climber with two small daughters to raise. Janet was eager to marry someone just like just like poor Hughie, which Nina suggested she did. Unquote. I
0: don't know how to absorb the idea that. The guy's ex-wife is like, you know, you know who's available now? My ex-husband. Well, that's
1: what the Cushing sister did. Yeah, we've had some society wives getting divorces who have helpfully found their next wife for their husband. It's not... I guess it, yeah, I guess the riffraff marries for love. It's
0: a little bit more of a transactional thing for the, for the upper class.
1: Well, imagine being Nina. How do you sell Hewdy to anybody? It's going to be a white marriage, but it's not going to be. Good luck. Ah, hold on to that. Gore Vidal and Janet Bouvier Auchincloss never get along. Ever, ever, ever. So Gore Vidal despises both his mother and Janet. But he said the essential difference between the two women, and I think this is key. Janet made trouble. Nina was trouble. Hmm. Gorvadal will point out how much his mother's decision to leave Hudie may have actually impacted history. Quote Jackie, constantly presented as a wealthy debutante of the highest society, was like me, a poor connection of the Aachen Had it not been for Nina's exasperation with Hudie, Nina's candidate for replacement, Janet, could have never taken her place at Marywood and Newport, Rhode Island. I have often wondered what would have become of Jackie had Nina stayed with Hewdy. Jackie would have certainly married money, that is to be taken for granted, but she would have never gotten Jack. One shudders to think that there would have never been a Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis if Hewdy could have had a satisfactory erection. Unquote. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. I know that he did not invent the poison pen, but boy, did he wield it.
1: Gore Vidal such a jerk. See, on Dun & Dunn, we've talked about Truman Capote and the Gore Vidal and Dominic Dunn and Tennessee. Oh, God, he's just, he's a hot mess, Gore Vidal. All right, that is going to take us to another quick commercial break. When we get back, remember the stories about Hudy? We're gonna get him back to his third marriage with Janet Lee Bouvier. We'll be back in a minute. Oh, thanks, Nina's second wife for setting up the third one. Here, Janet Lee Bouvier, financially desperate, single mother of two young girls. Of course, naturally, Janet is going to be pretty interested in the chance to date Hugh D. Auchincloss the second. Janet Lee was first married to. John Vernou Bouvier III, he was commonly known as Black Jack. Janet and Black Jack Bouvier have two daughters, Jacqueline in 1929 and Caroline Lee in 1933. Their marriage was famously a disaster. They had a very bitter divorce. Janet has been divorced, raising two girls for a long, long time. Nina, I'd love to meet Hughie. Thank you. It is on June the 21st, 1942, that Janet Lee Bouvier and Hudie Auchincloss marry at Marywood. This is their home in McLean, Virginia. In Jackie, Janet, and Lee, The Secret Lives of Janet Auchincloss and Her Daughters, Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis and Lee Radzewell, by J. Randy Teraborelli, he writes of Janet's marriage to Hudie this way Quote, On the whole, she was content, even though as a young woman of 34, she had made certain sacrifices in marrying Hugh, not the least of which had been forfeiting the kind of passion she once shared with her first husband, Jack Bouvier. However, she was a pragmatic woman who, once she made a choice in life, made an effort never to look back. Tabarelli here has a different version of how Janet and Hugh met, but agrees with the issue of Auchincloss's sexual desires. He writes that Janet was concerned about Hugh's attraction to her and lack of spark between them. So Janet decided to ask Hughie what his intentions toward her were. Tara Borelli writes, Hugh was honest with her. He sadly confessed that he was chronically impotent and that this had been the case for many years. He said it was why his second marriage to Nina ended. Because he felt it only fair to her, he wanted to be quite clear with Janet. The two of them would not have a sexual relationship. He had accepted this painful, unfortunate limitation in himself long ago, and he said he was too old to try to hide it or act as if it wasn't the case. Here's the thing with Janet Bouvier. She wanted the stability and power of being Cutie's wife more than she wanted an active sex life. So Janet agrees that this, in fact, is a problem, challenge, opportunity I can deal with. When Janet invites her parents to Marywood, their home for the first time, Janet basks in the glory of showing off her new home since her mother and father had disapproved of her first marriage to Jack Bouvier and shamed her because Janet asked them for money for help because Blackjack was so terrible. Here Janet's parents show up and they go on a tour of the expansive grounds and the home. And Janet's dad says that he imagined that Janet wouldn't need to ask him for money anymore. Janet agrees. Then he looks at Janet, his daughter directly, and says, His family's terrible. You may have money now, but not power. You don't have power, don't forget that. Thanks, Dad.
0: Well, but that's the kind of comment that sticks with you when your daughter starts dating
1: a U.S. senator, for instance. Janet, she's pretty strong. She's pretty determined. She wouldn't let her dad get the last word. She reaches over and holds Hughie, her new husband's hand, and stares at her father and says, Yes, but Hudie has it. Therefore, so do I. Hmm. Janet Leibivier Auchincloss is something you can't even reckon with. Talk about not even being able to reckon with. Things get a little trickier when Janet decides that she actually would like another chance at having kids. Does Hugh still have small spoons? <laughs> Janet knows this is going to be difficult, if not perhaps impossible, with Hughie. Janet speaks to a few doctors, does a little research, but... All in all, she decides the process just doesn't have to be so hard. <laughs> in Janet, Jackie, and Lee, Tara Borelli writes quote in her mind, it was quite simple. Even though Hugh was not able to sustain an erection, he was able to produce sperm, though Janet had no idea how viable it was. As long as she got it into the right place in her body, though, she felt she would get pregnant. Therefore, She did what a growing number of women were doing at this time in experimenting with artificial insemination in the home. She used a kitchen utensil along the lines of a turkey baster, though it would be incorrect to say that this was the specific instrument she used. No one can quite remember. What is known is that one doctor suggested that a syringe might be more efficient, but she decided she preferred it her own way. Though Hugh felt the process would be too embarrassing, Janet viewed it as a strictly clinical experiment in the bedroom. It worked. She wasn't even surprised, actually. She knew. She somehow knew it would work. And it did. Not just one time, but two. It's like the worst cartoon I've ever seen. Hughie and Janet go on to have two kids together. (laughs) Together Together-ish. Together-ish. I know I'm going to throw you off into another wrench here. <laughs> Janet Jr. <laughs> was born on June 13, 1945, and James Lee Auchincloss was born in March of 1947. Janet and Hughie remain married until his death in November 1976. Janet will go on to marry for a third time in 1979, and would remain married until her death in 1989. Got one more fun thing. A little bit of a bit on Janet's third husband here. His name is Bingham Willing Morris, also known throughout his whole life as Booch. Booch. Janet and Booch were childhood friends. Booch, when he marries Janet, was a widower at that point. So, very nice Mm-hmm. Two childhood friends, both widowers. But you ready for the weirdest twist of fate? Booch's first wife, Mary, was a bridesmaid at Janet Lee's first marriage to Dude, Blackjack Bouvier. Wow. Mm-hmm. Everything is connected. Mm-hmm. It is just such a tiny, tiny, tiny world, sometimes in the way that we play. Okay, I got one final little funny story from the son maybe you don't want writing about you. Gore Vidal (laughs) writes about Janet at what happens at his half-sister Nina's wedding. Gore Vidal writes about his stepmother. Almost sincerely, I complimented Janet for how well she had acted as a surrogate mother to my sister, who had fled at an early age from Nina to her father and his wife. Eager for a quarrel, Janet said, How dare you attack your mother? I thought I was praising you, Mm -hmm. Vidal responds. She began a tirade, the great beak of a nose like some furious parrot beak, moving from side to side a foot below my chin. Nina will be happy to know you admire her, I said gently. But then you should. She did everything for you.
0: Wow. Wow.
1: (laughs) Zing, zing, Gore Vidal. So much trash wrapped up in that story. So many marriages, so many kids, so many spoons, so much Reno. So many prominent
0: American figures.
1: So much high society. You see that I had to pull it out for both. It was sort mm-hmm. of the podcast crossover episode I didn't know I needed. And there is currently a Jake
0: Auchincloss in the U.S. Congress who's, whose father I think is Usha. Hugh Auchincloss. So the family lives on in a prominent role in
1: American life. Oh, there are tons of Mm Auchinclosses. That was just where I could center the story today. (laughs) Oh, I love the trash, candy, high society stuff. Thank you one and all for tuning in today. My trash pandas and my investigators on the trashy divorces side. We're going to be back this weekend with a brand new trashy divorce on the done and done side. We're going to be back on Monday, continuing our journey into Newport, Rhode Island. And if you
0: just need more of us, be sure to check out Trashy Royals Thursdays. Currently, we're in the Victorian era, looking at Queen Vicky's, I guess, grandchildren now.
1: Kids and grandkids. Mm -hmm. We really do just live in the trashy universe of everything. Thanks again, everybody for tuning in today, for your support over on Patreon, for your kind emails and reviews, until we meet again wherever we do. Keep your hands clean. Keep your hearts trashy. Stay curious. and Keep on investigating, too. There you go. Big love, everybody. Have a great rest of the week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Done and Done Podcast, a Hemlock Creatives production. You can email us at doneanddone at gmail.com